Welcome everyone to the All Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Noni Lamar, and uh, today is a very special day. We're back. We're back, baby. Woo-hoo. <laughs> We're back. I know it's been a long break, but you know, no, the co- I didn't have COVID. Uh, Black lives started mattering. I just got like, it just started to be too much. I wasn't ready to talk to y'all, but I'm back now. And this is the start of a new season. I have such incredible guests planned, lots to tell you, more coming soon. But more importantly, let's talk to our guest today. On the mic with me today, we have the, I think you've been called the legendary. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. (laughs) We have the myth, the madam, the legend, the midwife. Debbie Allen. <sighs> this is where this is where you put the applause. <sighs> Debbie, you're also our producer, the producer for the All Heart podcast. Editor. Editor. The producer and editor. And actually, y'all, my BFF. So everyone, welcome Debbie to the podcast. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Noni. <laughs> so, Debbie, you're going to have to call me Noni on this. De- Debbie doesn't even call me Noni. Debbie calls me Umi. And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to Debbie about, I was like, what better to talk about than motherhood? So that's what we're talking about today. Are you ready, Debbie? Sure. Wait, how are you feeling before we get started? Well, you know, I'm not really a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> don't record things. You don't see me out in public like that. That's true. So, you know, not on my comfort level, but I love you and me. So here we go. You are an influencer. you got a lot of followers so debbie is amazing she's a midwife she's a mother she's a birth work birth worker justicer if that's a word she's also a a birth influencer to be honest you really are doing the work out here and debbie was my midwife for three of my children i met her the day before i had my second child wait and a minute though let me just let me just please. put some perspective around that umi didn't want to meet me. <laughs> she didn't want to be bothered with anybody because i was pregnant and i was the closest person to her house so i said i'm gonna go she didn't want to come to la for her appointments but she lived near me <laughs> and i said you know what i don't care if she don't want to meet me i'm going over there because i live around the corner from her mm-hmm and it was love from that point It on. was. We had a love at first sight relationship. Yes. So, Debbie, you've been my second baby, third baby, and fourth baby. You've been there for all of them. The last one, did we even, was that even midwifery? The last <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. It was me kind of torturing you for the last, yeah, for, for about nine months I was torturing you. Like getting in the calling me in the middle of the night to go get food. Mm-hmm. Her pregnancy was very food oriented. Mm-hmm. It was very very food oriented. But before we start, um, we're gonna have a new way to start this podcast, and that's a check in. That I want to ask everybody the same question. Debbie's rolling her eyes. Look, everybody, Debbie's tough. You know, she's hard. Okay, <laughs> so she doesn't want to do all this stuff, but it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good for all of us. So our question that we're going to ask all of our guests are, Debbie, how do you like to be loved? And how do you like to love others? 
Well, I like to be loved by kind of just being allowed to mind my own black ass business, mm. you know, doing me, relaxing, <laughs> roaming the earth solo. Well, you like people to love you by leaving you alone? Just kind of leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a cat, like, let me wander in when I feel like it, rub my back, let mm-hmm. me wander out. That's how I like to be loved. Uh, and what's the other question? How do you like to love others? I don't know. You know. Why don't you tell me? How do you like you to... You know me. You know how I like to... <laughs> how do you like to give love to other people? Really? Uh, um, I don't know. Probably just being open to what people need in a moment. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's listening. Sometimes that's, you know, bringing them something. So I mean, it just really just depends. I guess just really being open to what people need in the moment. Mm-hmm. What do people normally need? You is it different? Oh, come on now! Everybody's different for sure. Some some sometimes it's really emotional. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's fun. Like just depends. Yeah, I, I I think you love a lot through fun though. I definitely like to laugh. Yeah, you're really fun. Like that's Debbie's everyone's BFF in my actual family. So each one of my children considers you their best friend. <laughs> Which is why when I come over here, I'm like, I, I have to block out like six hours because I have to spend quality time with every person. Including my man considers you also his best friend. It's my brother. <laughs> so I think, but part of it, I think, is you do bring the party. Like you, you make it really fun all the time, even when it's a hard day. Even when it's a hard day for you, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think you love people by laughing. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I like you do. That. You keep it light for a lot of folks. And then you do a lot of listening. Like you said, you listen to see what people need. And then you give that. <clears throat> That's a lot. Like, I've learned from you how to listen to other people in a new way. I'm a good listener. For sure. But you, like, listen. You ask questions you listen through asking the right questions. Like I'm like, dang, how you get all that out of somebody? Yeah. I'm always trying to be as good of an interviewer as you are. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, what would Debbie do? But I wanted to start with um, a birth story. I want to know how you became a mother. So we're going to talk about black motherhood today. And can you tell us about how you became a mother? What was your first birth story like? You can share one, two, three, how many children you have. Tell us a little bit about you and your motherhood journey. I have three sons, Miles, Max, and Elijah. They're 27. Miles will be 28. I'm going to cut that out the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Max is 25 and my baby is 18. My first birth, uh, Max, Elijah, uh, Miles, that's when, when you, you know, when you have over two children. <laughs> when you have over two children, and especially when they're grown, it's like they're all the same kid. <laughs> it your name don't matter. You know I'm talking to you. So the Miles was born in the hospital. I hated my experience. That's really why I became a midwife, why I decided to have an out-of-the-hospital birth. He um, really, you know, I had an, I wanted a natural birth. The, the obstetrician that I had was my gynecologist. I had known her a really long time. And he, when I got to the hospital, I probably was seven centimeters and labor was really hard. And I ended up having an epidural maybe an hour before he was born. Mm. And just everything about that experience was just 
I don't know, I felt birth could be different and special and hmm. gentle and sweet and kind. And it just felt, you know, bright lights and strangers and mm. I just hated it. But what made me know that I would never have a baby in the hospital is because I needed to be sutured and my obstetrician was suturing me and then two of her friends came in and they're just talking about what they're going to do for the weekend. And for me, I was like, the fact that they don't know, Mm-mm. that it doesn't even occur to them that that's so inappropriate, I was just like, I don't know, this is, this is not the place for me. So when I got pregnant again, I looked in the phone book because it was so long ago. <laughs> and the first midwife I found, um, I went to interview with her and, and I hired her. And it, it wasn't, it was just the conversation with her was very different. Like I had times to ask my questions. And when, I, when it came time for me to have a baby, um, she was at another birth and another midwife came. Mm-hmm. And the midwife that came, and only you, you know the story, but the midwife that came was this little middle-aged white lady that looked super conservative. I think I seen her once in passing, and I was so mad because I was like, mm-hmm. I'm having this home birth. You know, there was no business of being born. Nobody was doing it. People thought I was mm-hmm. crazy. And, and I, now I have to do it with someone that I don't even have any connection with or anything. And... Um, I was mad, I was so annoyed and irritated. But she's really the reason why I became a midwife because she came in my home, I didn't know her, she didn't really know me, and the way she held space for me was really what helped me get through the process. Mm. And I knew what I didn't want in birth, like I knew all the things I didn't like about the hospital, but I didn't really have any language for what I wanted and really what and what I needed. And, what, and my experience with her really showed me how important it is to, um, have somebody believe that you can do what you're trying to do like mm. when you look at them and when you look at them in the eyes you know that they really believe that it's possible mm. and just you know she wasn't a big talker and just for her to come in and not know me and be able to hold space like that I I never even imagined that was possible because how do you do that so I was like oh okay that's I want to do that I want to be that person too so she's really she she shifted my perspective of birth when I was gonna have my baby at home, it was just because of what I didn't like in the hospital and what I didn't, mm. just negatives. But she really like embodied what I needed and what just a po- the possibilities around birth. That even though you're doing something super hard to do, that energetically when you're surrounded by people that know you can do that, it was just, it was a game changer for me. Wait, did you have the same midwife when you had your third baby? I didn't. The third baby, I had the midwife that I hired initially, and yeah, that was a different experience. It was like, it was interesting too, because the midwife that kind of changed my perspective on birth, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any expectations around her. Like, my expectations was, I'm not even going to talk to this woman because I don't even know her. (laughs) Now I got to deal with her and over here trying to have a baby. But so for her to be that way and, and... for her to end up being my midwife was just, it's, it's, it was crazy to me. And it, it always reminds me, like, when I have, you know, a couple of clients on the books around the same time, like, you're going to get the person you need in the moment when you have a baby. Mm. Either it's going to be transformative in some way. Either it's going to be an experience that totally makes you think about what you expect for yourself, and especially in birth, or it's going to be an experience that's so amazing that you realize you know the power that you have so even though the the when I got this midwife and didn't want her like I had no idea how she would change my life when she walked through the door 
That's so amazing. How did you... Okay, I have a lot of questions now. <laughs> like, I, I know some of these stories, but I haven't heard a lot of things in depth. And I've always wondered, like, when you had that aha moment, when you're birthing and then you have a baby, like, how did you get from that moment to starting to get into birth work? You know, like, what kind of... What was that timeline like? How did you even figure out what to do? Well, because all my friends were having, not all my friends, but some of my friends were having babies. So I would be like, listen, even if you think, even if you love your OB, when you, what you want for yourself may not be their space of comfort. Hmm. So even though you're talking to your OB and you're like, I want this natural experience, don't want an epidural, I want this, I want delayed cord clamping. If that's not their style, you're not going to get that because no, that's won't. not what they do. So I would, so all of my friends, I became their doula. And just, oh. I didn't even really know what that was, but I was the one, like, we talk about their appointments and things you should say and write a birth plan. And I helped them with breastfeeding. So that really was my transition. Mm. And you didn't go to, like, a doula training? No. Nah. You just rolled up like I do to people's births. Exactly. What were your early days of being a mother like for you? Mm, I love being a mother. I love being a mother. Like, when Miles was born, he was really such a really... He's super as a sensitive, super sensitive person. Mm. So he was just really sweet and kind. I, I, I mean, you know, I really like children. So I really yeah. like being with children. So it didn't get a more challenging until I had two. And, you know, you have to figure out, mm -hmm. like, make sure the two-year-old doesn't kill the baby while you go take a shower and use the bathroom. <laughs> Why is your brother screaming? I remember, like, with the first baby, I put him, I think, in a high chair. I used to put him in the high chair and put him in the bathroom so I could shower. That means that he was six months before I took a shower. <laughs> exactly. You're taking, like, two-minute showers so you yeah. can just get back to the baby. But with one, you know, it was really, I took off work. I was off work for a really long, really long time with him, and we were just around, like hanging around. Just, I loved it, to be honest. It was the first time I had not worked in, I don't know, since I was probably like 16. So it was just really nice to just be. How did you know how to mother? I think I probably learned some of my best lessons about mothering by watching people mother in a way that I didn't want to be mothered. Mm. So that was a really good teacher for me. But like, how did you learn how to breastfeed? How did you learn how, like, there's so many, like, things in the beginning I'm so happy I didn't have a baby in the hospital because my first midwife was a granny midwife and she just basically showed me how to mother like this is how you breastfeed no 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 don't put him there wake him up do this I just did everything she said she had so many children they all adored her so I was like she must know what she's talking about my mom didn't really do I think she I don't I'm obviously not gonna remember her mothering as an infant but I don't recall my mom really tapping into mothering until I was like 12 11 you know what I mean so I didn't she didn't even really know how to give me the right advice so I'm always curious how people know what to do if they're Same. reading books like I mean I'm the oldest grandchild so I was the one that was always with all my cousins when they were babies holding them helping feeding all, all forever mm. but to like breastfeeding was horrible for me like I spent a lot of time solo like I didn't understand the importance of in in like early motherhood of community just mm -hmm. in motherhood in general just like talking to other people about what you need and mm. understanding how you're not the only one going through those experiences so my breastfeeding was horrible like it was 
terrible. Mm. I remember one day my son was hungry and I would just, every time he'd wake up, I'd like pat him on the butt to like go back to sleep because my boobs were like bloody and mm. like it was just, it, it was really hard. That part was really hard. But I think with being a midwife, that's why it's so much easier for me. Like, I think I midwife the way I would have wanted to be midwifed when I was a, mm. when, I, when I was a new mom. You know, because mm. a lot of the issues that you have as a new mother, it's really super simple fixes. But you just a lot of times you don't have the community for that. And so when you're midwifing, you're kind of showing folks how to be a mom mm-hmm. in those early days. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. OK, how did it shift for you over the years? Like how did mothering change? Oh, like. I mean, I'm still what what's I think probably the most surprising thing about being a mother is that you never stop mothering. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, you think like, okay, my kids are whatever age, they're adults, like, they're gonna mm-hmm. go live their own life. No, not really. Like, you always mother. Like, they're, they'll, that'll be your life, your whole life. Mm-hmm. And it, may, it might, it won't be the way you mothered your, your children, the way you mother adults, but there's still a lot of mothering in it. So it just, you know, it changed, of course, from one kid to two. Change from two, there's an eight year difference between my middle son and my youngest. Mm. So mothering him was drastically different than mothering a two and a half year old and a baby. Mm. Um, it, it was, it made me really um, slow down and like, because it was such a big age difference, see that each stage that he was going through was gonna be so short. Mm. Like, so I remember like when he was a newborn, like the things that, you know, it can be stressful about having a newborn, like not getting any sleep or that, you know, you think you got them under control and they sleep for a week and then <laughs> next the, Tuesday. The, the phase I'm in. Exactly. Basically why I haven't been on this podcast. So. <laughs> next Tuesday they decide, oh, we're only going to sleep in 15 minute increments around the clock. Thank you very much. Oh my God. That's where I am. <laughs> but for Elijah, he's so, you know, like it was such a drastic difference between him and his brothers age-wise that it, I don't know, it's probably how grandparents feel where you're like, oh, you're only gonna be this. You're only gonna do this for three more weeks. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna stop. It doesn't matter that I have shit to do. I'm gonna sit on the floor and throw this ball to you for hours. <laughs> but it was. I loved it because he was so. Like it was just. It was. Glaringly obvious that he wasn't gonna stay that age for a very long time. What? Okay. So how did you parent differently? Like, what did you learn from the first two that you changed when you got to your third baby? Mm, the first two, you know, the first one, you're just trying to figure it out. Like, you're just trying to keep the kid alive. The experiment. Yes. Like, yes. He's still alive. <laughs> he's here. He's with us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The second kid, you're, then you're trying to integrate dealing with two humans. And, you know, every you can't parent all your kids the same. They're different people. So, whereas Miles, I could look at him and my face could look angry and he would start crying. Max, on the other hand, I could throw him off the window and he would think it was hysterical. <laughs> Did you try both? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so it, it required, they required me to be very different parents to them just on based on who they were. They're so opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. Max is really pushes the boundaries always. And Miles is more just a gentle spirit. So it required me to be very different with them. And then when you got to Elijah, like, did you... Did, were you like what kind of disciplinarian were you when you had the other two and then when you had the third like how was it changed because I know I, I just think like right now Prince and Eli they're nine years apart yeah 
So like, like yeah. yeah. So I just think it's just so different. Like when I had Prince, I was just so anal about everything and I was reading everything and I was trying to do everything right. I mean, just look at their diets, right? You can see something as simple as that. Like Prince was a vegan and like pretty much a doctor say be vegan. By the time Eli's eating, like, I think we were just feeding him. <laughs> we gave him his first meal and I was like, I guess I should buy organic avocado for him. I was like, I got the organic avocado. And then the second day, it was time for him to eat. I just plopped him in the seat and I just smashed it up and I walked away. And then Tarak was like, what happened to the ceremony? Like yesterday was this. <laughs> I was like, he's cool. Like I gave him a spoon and I was just like, go for it. But I remember with the first baby, I was like scooping each like hand blended organic absolutely like I'm, for sure i was vegan too i was vegan for a long time before i got pregnant so i was vegan and then vegetarian with miles like we didn't no tv like no electronics yes everything all the rules by elijah I'm, i remember one day driving miles and max to school and i look back and elijah is in the car seat and he's chewing something and i'm like what he's probably six months old i'm like what does the baby have oh we gave him some gum like, <laughs> don't listen don't let your brother choke on that gum. If that was Miles, I would have pulled over and like, you know, gave him Heimlich and got the gum out of his, it was like, look, don't swallow, listen, baby. Don't swallow that gum. We gotta get to school, we're running late. So it's usually, you, but you just get more comfortable that, you know, they're, that they're like, it, you're, they're gonna be okay. Like you just get more comfortable that they're gonna be okay. What do first time moms trip on that you wish they would just chill off? This, that their baby is like fragile and that they're just not doing, you know, that there's a perfect way to do things with your kids. There's no perfect way. And the beauty of babies is they don't judge, they don't care. Like if you mm. put their diaper on backwards, they're not gonna be like, oh, you know, my mom sucks, like, let me show you. <laughs> like they don't judge and so you're learning together. And so it's not, and you're learning this, babies are individual people. So you're learning what this human likes. It's no blanket rules for every baby okay i want to segment segue into like black motherhood but before i get there i want to ask you this one question because it's something that comes up a lot a lot of the time folks are reaching out to me about their kind of mental health after they have a baby like what are what are what do you do in those those instances because i you know i i'm an umi so i do the umi thing but i'm curious because i know you get a gazillion more calls about you know there's that moment you're so high, everything's going great, and then, what is it, like 10 days after you have a baby, around then, you just start crashing, and then then I, you, I, you start to feel like you're on that roller coaster, yeah. right? And it's just like this up and down, and in these last COVID and BLM, I've been up and down myself, but because I'm used to the ride, I'm not, you know, I'm not spinning out, and I know, like, yeah, I'm going to get on. Oh, I can't control my mood right now. So let me go into my herbal allies. And I have my herbal allies. I took those back. I put them into my regimen. And I'm feeling like even again. But I noticed like scream. I was like screaming at the other ones. Like they'll just do simple things like, who spilled the water? Who spilled the water? I could trip. I could trip. What's wrong with y'all? You don't care about me? Like, it just turned, like, it's just, like, zero to 100. And when, you know, I have the 
the the gentle partner who will warn me gently and then be like, yo, you need to get this together, right? So I know there's so many moms that are going through that right now, but they don't feel like they have anyone to talk to or they feel like they're mean or, you know, a bad mom because they have feelings. I mean, there's two different types of, like after you have a baby, of course there's a, a normal shift in your hormones that, a lot of people get like a little bluesy mm-hmm. day seven, day mm-hmm. eight, but it's not a significant dip. Mm-hmm. It's very different. So there's 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 two there's like a baby blues, mm-hmm. and what helps with that really is community. Mm-hmm. Like because sometimes you know once a baby comes, people come over first couple of days, and then it wears off, and then you're there by yourself with a brand new human, not a lot of community, tired, mm-hmm. not 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 together enough, and really not in the physical or mental state to go places right but people don't aren't coming by as often as they were in the beginning so a lot of that really helps uh, what really helps is community mm. but then there's a deeper dip that sometimes especially with people who are, who've had um, like anxiety mm-hmm. or have been on medication for mental health something mental health related prior to being pregnant what they don't realize is that pregnancy can once you have your baby, it could take your hormones in a really deep, 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 deep dive. Yeah, yeah. That you know, and you, you, you know, it's a, it's a, you, it's people think that you can just pull yourself together, and sometimes you really can't. Sometimes you need medication. It's not a bad thing temporarily to help you get your hormones back to where they need to be. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people just feel like something's wrong with them that they can't pull themselves out of that funk. So there's yeah. two different. There's, it's very. They're very, it's very different. The bluesy part where you're just feeling a little melancholy and something, a song will come home and come on and you'll burst into tears. Like that's a normal dip in your hormones. Mm. But when you can't pull your, like the the, the dives are, are bigger than, than the happier parts, that's a little bit different. Yeah. So it's like really distinguishing the two at first and understanding that a lot of women experience that. I think... You know, postpartum depression has just many ranges, and a lot of people go through that, but most people don't talk about it. And a lot of women, it takes a long time before they even know that that's what they're experiencing. And I think, too, Deb, like, I think I was aware of postpartum depression, but I didn't know what anxiety felt like until I was, like, on, like, a third baby. Like, I, I knew what baby blues felt like. I had been, I'd had my own stuff growing up. Like, I knew what it meant to be depressed, but I didn't know what anxiety what it meant to feel anxious I didn't relate to other people saying that I had anxiety I'm like what's this generation of anxiety what does this even mean and then the noise (laughs) of children started to like grate at me and I started to feel all the financial weights that come with having a lot of children and being an artist and independent and I started realizing like whoa 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 why why is my heart palpitating like this like all of those things you know and I'm like oh being able to name it, being able to, I think I remember like hitting up a friend and saying, oh, is anxiety a real thing? And she was like, it's real whether or not you want to believe in it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't believe in it. She's like, it doesn't count on your belief. Like it, it exists. Yeah, yeah. But we also hold so much. It's, you know, it's just not a lot of space to kind of fall apart. Like you just, mm. it, it's like the mentality of society is that Pull yourself together and especially as a mom like why aren't you happy you have this healthy new baby and and sometimes it's just bigger than that yeah I think one of the things you've given me permission to have needs 
and I think we can transition into black motherhood. I think that that's, I never really grew up seeing black mothers say they had a need. Like it was as if they didn't exist, you know, they were just like doing their job. And so you've really helped me to understand that it's not needy to have a need. Like you're just a human being, right. you know. Like, what do you think about that? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when people say, "I feel like a bad mom"? I mean, the first thing I would say is, "What, what could possibly make?" I mean, cause I just think people underestimate doing being a mom from a from a, uh, a place of love. That's that's where you're parenting from. So what's bad in that? Like if you have a bad day or you have a bad moment, how does that make you a bad mother? And then you're also independent of being a mother, you're a human being. So, you know, babies are needy, they're selfish. They only, mm-hmm. they, and, and newborn, they don't give a lot back. Like they're not smiley and you don't look at them and they give you goo goo eyes in the beginning. They're like, feed me, <laughs> change me and don't eat nothing that's gonna make me gassy. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. You, and children are selfish. And children can be selfish. Yeah. So, so For quite a long time, like toddlers, they're yeah. not, they don't really care about you. Yeah, you're teaching them yeah. how to care about other people. Yeah. So it's just, there's such a, if you're doing no harm to your children physically and you're not <laughs> intentionally, emotionally harming them, then you're not a bad mom. That's I really feel that way because mm. even though you, you know, you, you can't compare your, yourself to other people's style of parenting. And the other thing that I always tell people is that what you see is not the full perspective on the person you're 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 comparing yourself to because that mom who looks like they make organic food and they get up in the morning and go outside and they're mm-hmm. do they garden and then they come and they all they're all in the kitchen together and then they do story time <laughs> that same mom is calling me saying that i i don't know how i'm going to be able to get up and carry on the next day you know what i mean yeah i Pe- do people let you see what what they want you to see so uh, a lot of times people are considering themselves a bad mom because they have an unrealistic par- uh, comparison of what motherhood really looks like. You're a human being. Some days are fantastic and some days aren't. But that doesn't make you a bad mother. And I think it's a good thing for, for kids to see. It's unrealistic for someone to see someone who's consistently the same every single day. That's not a good way for a child to grow up thinking that you should mm. be consistently happy every single moment of your life. And when you're unhappy, something's wrong. Or if there's an issue, something's wrong. Like, it's much more healthy for them to see you weave in and out of those and work through those and talk about those than it is to be hmm. what people think is perfect. Because they are also, what are they going to live up to? Exactly. I and used what, to wonder that. Like, I used to wonder, I wonder who my mom really is. Because I knew I wasn't a person that just was like, my mom, for y'all that don't know, you can go in the archives. There's an interview with my mom. She's She's pretty real on that one. She's a super real person, but she's also like kind of like like Mary Poppins, like you know, just naturally um, joyful, just full of cheer. I think I would say, <laughs> like, and I was like, yo, I'm not a full of cheer person all the time. I'm full of cheer a lot. Yeah, but sometimes people who are full of cheer aren't really full of cheer. Sometimes people who are full of cheer, that's how that's their coping mechanism to get over things that aren't really cheerful in their life. So, I mean, it's just always to put on a brave face. Yeah, It's just that's how they that's how they survive. I mean, so it's just always like you can't ever look at 
one part of the picture because there's always other another piece to that that's true i i used to wonder like is this the right way to parent and i'm like you know what no matter what i choose which way i go there's gonna be one person that has a problem with it there's gonna be no everybody's gonna have a (laughs) problem with something you did because you know sometimes you're, you're also getting to know this child right right and you're getting to know this human being and they change just like you grow they grow Mm -hmm. so sometimes you don't realize something that they needed something until you see like it's after yeah i think it would have been better if we would have did it this way yeah so it's like you can't it's no way around that like you can do whatever people picture as textbook perfect parenting and your kids are still going to come back to you and say remember when you were making those homemade vegan (laughs) non-gmo cookies like all my friends had these kind of cookies of course and i felt like the oddball like is you i don't want to say you can't win but people grow and develop themselves and you can't nobody's perfect like it's that's the way you grow i've always felt it's best to show them maybe as a reaction right to how i was raised to just show them my full self so if i'm sad like when when my G, my grandmother died like i just cried and cried and cried the whole year i never like went somewhere else to cry when they're not there they see arguments they see but they always have to see the resolution they see me in my best and my worst. Just the other day, they asked me, like, whatever happened to that person? They're not around. Oh, we're not really friends anymore. Well, what happened? I'm like, I don't think, like, I'll tell you later. Like, well, why? Why can't you tell me now? Because I'll feel bad, like, if I talk about that. That still hurts me. Oh, okay, cool. Like, I don't know. I've always thought that parenting, how I wanted to do it was relationship like as if we are like all a group traveling together and just to be as naked as possible sometimes that shit backfires on me though like sometimes it's like (laughs) my oldest being like why are you crying like why are you crying right now like come on you're my mom get it together (laughs) like okay you know I don't know like but it just depends on who you're parenting too yeah, because another child, they don't have a problem with that. Because yeah. my, like my youngest and my oldest, if when they see me cry, it makes it makes them incredibly sad. Yeah. My my Max is a little bit of a more of an introspective person. Like he's mm. paying attention, but he doesn't. He's not reactionary that way. So it just it 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 you know it changes and it depends on. I mean, I parent very di- very different depending on who I parent. Each child, you're parenting them very different. They're very different people. There's no way they can have the same rules. When 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 my kids were little, the the oldest one, he was always it was always something. Somebody was always messing with him in school. I was up there threatening third graders all the time. But I, and I used to tell him, listen, if he puts if anybody puts their hands on you, you have my permission to put your hands on them. Don't don't let nobody just beat you up. Like <laughs> <laughs> defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and he would, he would, he, cause he's just that, he's such a gentle person. I would literally always tell them that. I, I walked up to the school one day and he was, he was in the hallway and some kid had him, like, had him up against the wall, like, had him by the neck, right? And I walk up and I'm like, what are you doing? And he was like, he says, I'm like, don't ever put your hands on my kid. And he said, you, you, you can't talk to me like that. I said, listen, <laughs> listen, Miles. 
if this little boy ever puts his hands on you, I want you to pick up something. I want you to knock the shit out of him. And the little boy goes, if he does that, he'll get expelled. I said, Miles, the day you get expelled for defending yourself, I'm going to take you straight to Disneyland. (laughs) Miles, his his chest got so puffed up. He was so excited. So because he had to like, he had to understand you, you don't, you, you know, you are kind and you are gentle and that's fine, but... No, you wouldn't tell that to Max. Max! <laughs> you can't tell that to the Max. The rules were, <laughs> I don't care what nobody does to you, go get the teacher. <laughs> don't touch him. Don't touch anybody. Because he's just a... He doesn't take a lot of stuff. Yeah, he, yeah. he doesn't... I love that about him. I love... Yeah. I, I, I was going to tell a story about Max, but there's a million stories. But yeah, I love that about him too. It was, it was mm-hmm. That's a challenging child to parent. Mm-hmm. Because he, you know, the rules apply to everybody, including you as a parent. So he don't take no shit, but he don't take no shit. Like, right. he doesn't like what you're telling him. It doesn't matter that right. you're, you're the authority. Yeah, we, we have a similar child in yeah. this way. So and I'm learning, I'm learning how to, oh, wait, I'm now, I just realized this this week. I was like, you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Wait. No, no, I'm punk rock, baby. I've been punk rock my whole life. When when did I turn into the authority figure? I know. And I was like, damn, I have to lay down the law. I like, I'm no longer like raging against the machine. I'm the machine. You are. That sucks. Somebody has to be the machine. And that's what I had to tell myself. These kids are running all over you. <laughs> I'm like, dang, I really, they're getting too old. I can't keep running to their dad. Like, nah, like, you got to step up. Like, you got to, you got to just be the bad guy. Like, he's not going to like you right now. I just wanted my kids to, I, I just, they didn't have to like me, but I wanted them to be compassionate humans. So a lot of it is yeah. like also, you know, understanding that you, you know, how you treat people in the world matters hmm. and as well as how they treat you so that that you know i don't know parenting is it's just so many layers to it there's a lot yeah. there's a lot how do you think that black mothering is different i mean I, I have three black sons so black mothering is watching my 17 year miles how was old was he when trayvon martin died when they can when when mm. he when, was he he was a kid. He wasn't an adult. Miles was. Yeah. Okay. Watching him cry about that. You know what I mean? So black mothering means looking at your son cry about that and knowing that he's seeing himself. It's, you know, black mothering for me is being fierce about my sons no matter what age they are and also teaching them to that they still are safe and still secure in the world. That what you see is not everything that's happening and that there are safe spaces for you, but also having you understand that there are places that are unsafe, there are times that are unsafe, and just to recognize them both. And recognize them both, but still have joy and be happy and not look at the world as a, a horrible place for black men. Mm. So I think, you know, mothering as a black parent is just so different. Hmm. Because, you, you know, part of you, of course, feels like you're sending your kids out into an unsafe space. Yeah, but you don't want to send out send them out feeling that they live in an unsafe space. You wanted them to still carry their heads like gods, like you still God. Absolutely, and thrive. And you can't thrive when you're always living in fear. And now is a really complicated time for that, because never has the whole world be been ever talked about 
black folks and how they're treated and unjust things that are happening. So it's in the forefront. Like, you know, some t- before you could kind of like, you know, talk about it here, but not there, but now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's on every social platform. It's on on TV. It's on like it's so it it really is challenging to teach your sons to be safe. You are safe. You are protected, but also keep your eye out and make sure that you're safe. Like and and I just because it, it pisses me off that my kids would be fearful of just being a black man in the world. And as mm-hmm. they get older, they come into situations where you're not there. So they have to navigate that. And you have to prepare them for those situations. I think sometimes, like, I saw so many, like, uh, social media, like, the talk. Like, that it started to just be like, ah. Like, exactly. You know, it, it almost trivialized, like, trivialized it yeah. for me. Like, this, is, this isn't, like, you know, when I see white folks posting that, that we don't have to have the talk. Like, it's not one talk. What it's are you not, talking it's about? It's a lifetime of conversations. It's a lifetime of conversations. I remember, I didn't, it's funny because I think white people think that black people talk about race all the time. <laughs> <laughs> white people make black people talk about race. All the time. All the time. I never said, we, we never discussed race as a concept to my kids until I, Miles was in kindergarten and of course it was Black History Month and she, he went to a mostly white school so course the black person had to come and read something so i had read some book about i don't even remember who it was oh we this this book we were reading was about martin luther king of course and so um and they were talking about you know people sitting on the back of the bus and stuff like that and i remember a little girl who was black Mm. uh, biracial she raised her hand and she goes i would never be like that to African Americans, I like you. You are an African American. Sorry to break it to you, but when we got in the car and we and, I, and me and Miles were talking about it, and I said, "Well, how did you like the story?" And he's like, "It was good. It was so sad, mommy. It was so sad what they were doing to those African Americans." And I and I was like, "Hold up, do you know any African Americans?" He and he, he looked up and he thought and he was like, "No, I don't know any African Americans." And I just it reminded me that you why would you ever talk about race? Like there's no reason to. There's no reason until your kids are put in a world where they have to understand what that means. So so people that are longtime listeners of this podcast know that I did not talk to our children about race. It was not a big decision that we sat down as a couple and say, We're not gonna do this. We're just like, mm, we homeschool, they're around mostly black and brown folks. Why, why bring it up, right? So then eventually we had to talk about race, but we never talked about slavery. We didn't really talk about the civil rights movement. I don't know if I've talked about it before. At some point, a white person at their like STEM class asked me why I hadn't talked about Martin Luther King because they had King Day off. And I was like, is it a happy story? <laughs> is it joyful? <laughs> and she was like, uh, nah, it really isn't. I was, And then they asked me, hey, Umi, like, can you please tell us who Martin Luther King is? Because every year we have this day off. <laughs> like the MLK parade go by our house. Like, what's happening here? So then I explained Martin Luther King. But it was basically any time I only explained it if I was forced to talk about it. Because there's no reason. They learned a lot about, you know, our children know a lot at this point now. Thanks to quarantine. They know a lot about black history we just don't call it black history, right? They know a lot about pre-Columbian history. 
But because of what was happening on television, they saw, you know, their grandparents say, we know a lot of your friends are Black Lives Matter. Is everything okay? Like, you know, a few weeks back, some weeks back. And they were like, finally, my nine year old was like, what is happening? Why is everyone upset? What's going on? They, they had, he had no idea. And so I said, you know what? We should show you. And we turn on the TV. It was already, just to be clear, in case you try this method, it was already like recorded. It was a pre recorded. <laughs> we had, their father had already had the pre recorded screener and showed them everything was happening, showed them marches, showed them all of the things that were happening in the streets. And so, you know, we showed them that and they were like, okay, well, what's this? What's happening? And we had to start putting a lot of this in context. We had to talk about slavery. We had to talk about Jim Crow. We had to talk about these issues because they didn't know. He's like, why is everyone so mad? That's the beauty of homeschooling though. Right. So we go on a walk. I said, look, you're nine. I'll tell you about it all. We go on a walk. In 15 minutes, I explained the transatlantic slave trade, the civil rights movement, reconstruction. And we just went through them real quick. Highlight reel. (laughs) And he was like, huh. Huh. Okay, that makes a lot of things make sense. Like it was like he 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 had some empty spaces in his mind that he was wondering why certain shit was how it was and he was like, "Got it. Got it. Got it." Yeah, I could see why people be mad about that. Okay. So that's why people in the streets right now? Yes, right? So for me, I was so happy, Debbie, that we had waited until that moment. Till yeah. it was absolutely necessary for him to know why. And it was only cuz there was a curfew. Because there was a curfew. He was like, what is a curfew? What is happening? This He's is- like, the world is falling apart. I- <laughs> they got me in this house, this happy house. <laughs> I need something. Something's not right here. It's like a movie set. <laughs> we had this. We had- <laughs> He was in the bad film. He was in a film where he's black without knowing he's black, right? But I was happy about that. It's. You know, my kids are much older. Like, I have two adult children, so yeah. things change, and I changed along the way of raising them, too. With Miles, I just wanted him to be happy. Super sensitive kid. Like, I don't, don't want to talk about any of that shit. Whatever makes you happy, that's what we're doing. Hit, raising him made me realize that I couldn't just raise a black child that way. It's a disservice to them. Yep. Max is angrier, so. <laughs> <laughs> we should ship, we switch shit up a little bit. <laughs> Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, what do you think? Do you know of this concept, the mother wound? No, tell me about it. Okay, so the mother wound, the mother wound, they call it like a loss or a lack of mothering. It's how we experience parenting and how it influences how we parent. So someone with a mother wound is like, Mothers who provided for physical needs for the children, but they don't provide that deep love and attention. Because that's their wound from being parented that way? Well, people that are said to have a mother wound, like I think oftentimes we talk about like, I can give examples, like we talk about black fatherlessness, but we don't often talk about in our community, our mother wounds. For some reason, we hold like this big mama, like dear mama. Right. Like there's this this black mother is on a pedestal, but she's also, as we've talked about, not really a human being. Right. 
but we don't talk about the wounds that we inherit from our how we were mothered. Okay. And so often I've I've heard a lot about the mother wound more like with white women talking about, you know, how their mothers parented them. But I've I re- I remember when I was working, I worked in Oakland for a bit. And I was teaching and I was like, "Wait a minute." wait a minute. And one day I just like, it, it dawned on me. I was like, so many of y'all are not being mothered. And that's for a number of reasons. But the number one reason is their, their mother was like outside of the home working. But the nurturing, like um, one of my friends, Kairishi, she always talks about like how black children don't get enough lap time. Like we don't get the time. Like when you described like your first baby, that's literally like what so many people I know yearn for. Like, but it was a luxury, you know what I mean? Yes, like, I understand. Most people don't have that luxury. And granted, I got rid of one. We had we went down to one car. Like we had moved in a smaller place. Like we sacrificed to be able to do that, but still a luxury. Like my mom didn't have that option. She had to go to work. And I re- I know that when I was born, my mom and my grandmother they had a conversation and decided. Who was going to go to work? And my grandmother said, you know what? You are the type of person that needs to be out in the world. You go ahead and go out in the world and I'll take care of Noni in these early years. And she quit her job and told my mom to go get a job so that I could have that lap time. But I associate that, and I I sometimes wonder if that's why I associate all that warm, nurturing, mothering thing, because my lap time was on my grandmother's lap. Same. And not on my mother's lap. And I know a lot of black folks, that is our story, right? Like right. where we associate sweetness and and mother is is our grandmother. Absolutely. Right? So a lot of time, like when people talk, here, I'm going to tell you something. I wrote it down. Some signs of a mother wound. Um, never feeling like they had their mother's approval or acceptance concerned about not being loved by their mother or not being loved as much as their other siblings or family members this one right here this is like my greatest fear of mothering like for one of my children to feel like i love the other one more mine do how do you deal with that i mean you know i understand it because like so for sure the older boys for a long time felt that i loved elijah more but they were eight and 12 watching me mother a two-year-old. So of course the interaction has to be sweeter and it's just different. You're, it's, yeah. he's a baby. So, but how they internalized that was that he was a favorite. And I'm like, no, he's not getting in trouble because you, I don't, I didn't parent you like I parent him at four. Right. Like you're 11 now. Like, so it's not like you, you your understanding is different. So it, yeah, it happens. It, it's, it's. Yeah, and, and specifically my middle son that was born because he, I think, because he was the baby. So when and then when the next baby came, it's like some of this stuff you can't even avoid. It's like, okay, another one is difficulties in relating to the mother on an emotional level, uncertainty about the relationship with the mother and if it could be lost with a mistake or an accident. Always trying to do better or be perfect to attempt to gain your mother's attention and acceptance. Feelings of having to protect, care for, or shelter your mother rather than her protecting, caring for, and sheltering you. This is definitely my mother wound right here. (laughs) The last one. Um, Some mothers are not abusive or neglectful. Some never engaged in negative behavior, but they were distant and less tuned in to the emotional needs of their children. 
So I wanted to ask you, do you feel like you have a mother wound in any way? Absolutely. A couple of those I could check off. But, you know, I think I, some of my mother wounds were healed when I became a parent. Hmm. Because I, it may, like, definitely I felt that my brother and my mother had a, they do have a closer relationship than, than she and I do. And she is more, um, ju- not judgmental, but, um, what's the word? Like Nick, Harsh? Not harsh, but just critical of, okay. of the things that I do than, than my brother. But, you know, I, I think it, t- I, being in a relationship with my mother because of the, the, issues that I have because of her mm. became easier when I released her of expectations and looked at her more as a human being. How did you do that? It was the only way for us to ha- coexist as, 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 and have a relationship that wasn't always combative. But wait, how did you practically do that? How did, how you... did I practically do yeah. it? So like I would have a relationship with my mother that like if she wanted to see when Miles was little, we would have to <laughs> this sounds so crazy. <laughs> I don't even want to say it. But we would have to meet her. Like she would, she I would, like if I needed her to watch my son, mm-hmm. she would go, "Well, you, I'm not gonna come pick him up. Meet me at the corner of Crenshaw <laughs> and and Adams at six forty five, and then I'll you can meet me at eight fifteen at the corner of." And I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I'm dropping off my two year old at a gas station. Like this is nuts." But you know, my when I really, I mean, and d- don't get me wrong, me and my mother still go through it. It's a very delicate mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it isn't great. It has gotten tremendously better for me because I don't engage in stuff that are triggers for me. Mm-hmm. So like things that usually would, like she, you know, moms know what to say to. For sure. Like they know the button to push that will send you into. For sure. Yeah. So I just. I remember consciously saying, I, I don't want to see my sons to see me have this kind of relationship with my mother hmm. and that I'm going to not react, which for a long time drove her crazy because it was like, <laughs> she's like, oh, no, now what buttons do I push? Like, oh my God, like it's just in my mind, she was like pushing all the computer buttons trying to figure which one launched, <laughs> launched my feelings. But for me, that helped me look at her more objectively and see her from her mother womb. You know, like she was the oldest child and she took care of her brothers and sisters. So, of course, being a mother, when you were forced to be a mother at a young age, that's not as appealing to you. You know, before it was very personal to me, but Mm. I had had to let that go. You had to see her for her pain. For who she is. And and being a parent helped me because my kids are going to see that like there's going to be things that I do and have, have been things that I've done that I know can have you cause an issue for them right Mm -hmm. unknowingly right you didn't do them intentionally and i don't think she does them intentionally i just think she parents the way she learned and you know some people choose to back themselves up out of that some people don't have the tools to do that so it helped me not like always be in in a combative relationship with her because our relationship was so combative all the time so doing Mm. that just helped me be like you know i wanted her to have a relationship with her grandkids and be around her and not always be arguing. So that was the only way I could do that was to just see her a little bit different and take the, you know, I had this, I, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues with my mom is that I have this way that I want her to be my mom. Mm -hmm. And that's not who she is. 
Mm. Like, you know, I in my mind, like, I have friends whose moms who I think are amazing. <laughs> like, you know, they they go hard for their kids. Mm-hmm. They like, you know, they like you can't say nothing about their kids to them or they're gonna just like Bobby would be like, Yeah, I agree, she's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, dang. <laughs> That's so what? <laughs> so I had to just like let her be who she is. Like I can't she's not my you know unrealistic ideal of what a mother should be. I've been quarantining with my mom. So at the very beginning, I knew that we like like this can't work unless we have some new rules, you know. Cuz it's cool. We can live together and it'd be all right, but quarantine's a whole nother beast. So I had to be like, hey, listen, that thing you do where you shut it down and shut people out, like, uh-uh. Yeah, but you guys are so opposite that way. Like, you are like, we're going to get to the nitty grit, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And if you don't want if you don't agree, I'm going to throw in a left angle that you never saw coming. Oh. And we're going to get, that's hard. It is hard. And, and I had to really hear her out and her being like, this is my this is how I deal with my stuff. This is my wound. This is, you know, how I she told me, she used words like, I like to retreat. I like to be a hermit. And my mom's a cancer, so cancers go into their shell. Like, I need to do this. This is how I feel safe. And I'm like, okay, when you do that, this is how I feel. I feel pushed out. I feel like you're distant. I feel like you don't care, you know. It was, it's like stuff that seems so petty now, like when I'm thinking of it. But I told her stuff like, you didn't buy me any gift for the holiday. And she's like, huh? And I'm like, I know, I'm 39. <laughs> like, but but, those, but it's because it's the principle of it. It's not that oh. little issue. But she was like, I didn't realize, like, you know, it was just these little tiny misunderstandings that I realized can really turn into these big things unless we talk about them. Yeah, but you have to have a mother that's willing to talk about it. I have, a, mo- so, I have yeah. a mother who's like, that never happened. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? So every memory I have is a figment of my imagination. It took a while for my mom to be willing to hear me out on my perspective on how things happen. But it also took a while for me to consider that how I was remembering was from the memory of a child. Yeah. How I was remembering is from the memory of a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old. My brain isn't even fully developed, right? So I'm remembering through my emotions. And now I think we're able to have conversations where she can say, okay, I did that. Because before she was like that too. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Your childhood was great. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Yeah. I was like, where were you? You weren't there. So so how would you know if it was great, right? And so I would do those little digs. Like me, I'll do those little digs. Just to be clear, I want to remind everyone, this is a season called Be Real With Yourself. You're going to hear me be real with you. Like, I'm aware now of the ways in which I treat people like shit. And I don't want to do those, even if it's the smallest things. I don't want to dig at my mom. I don't want to push her button. You know what I mean? Like, even if I'm hurt, there's so many other ways to go about it. And I remember at the top of quarantine, I really sat down. She asked me, what do you really think of me? And I was like, oh, I think you're incredible. Like, and I just read her this list of all the reasons why I thought she was so great. And I was like, is that what you expected me to say? She said, absolutely not. Interesting. And I was like, you thought I would say something bad? She was like, yeah. But you know, 
all those things can exist in one person you can still be a good human like yeah, you, like, like I was like, can, wait, you have challenges, but the yeah. reason why it hurts is because I want to be around you because I think you're that. You're my mom, right? Like, you're my mom. Like, no matter what, you're still my mom. So I'm going to want you to be with me and love on me. Like, it's just. That's just what it is always, which is why the mother wound is so, such a big deal. And it's some of the stuff seems so trivial, but it isn't. Because it's just human nature for you to want to feel loved by your mother. How do you think, how does it play out when people are birthing, them having that mother wound? What is that like? Oh, man. It, like, you know, everything that you are, every good thing, every bad thing comes up when you have a baby. So a lot of times people hold on to their babies just because that can play out in how they feel coming into being a parent. Mm. You know, that there's some things that they feel insecure about how they would parent because of the way they were parented by their mother. Hmm. So yeah, it's just birth brings it all up, everything. And what do you tell people like when they have like that mother stuff coming up? Cause I, I think that's around the time when you have a child, like yeah. that's when you start really reflecting. Right. How do you, how can the partner be supportive of that? Do you ever have to like give, do you like coach the partner on how to support folks with their triggers when they're pregnant? I mean, I think a lot of the, part a huge part of care though is really some people don't even realize what their triggers are and especially in birth we mm. have, and especially in home birth we have this idealistic view of oh I'm gonna have my baby it's gonna be at home my mom's gonna be there watching if you have kind of a you know shaky relationship with your mother the worst thing could, could possibly happen is for her to be at your birth because some of the same things that trigger you non-pregnant and not having a baby are gonna be amplified when you're pushing out a child so oh. we talk about we we really realistically look at what your relationship is with your mother because it always comes up because everybody thinks that most people think like oh it would be great if my mom was there and I always ask what what is your relationship with your mom not the idealized relationship be real with yourself like what is the real (laughs) relationship like does she say something like if she said to you I wonder if that baby's getting enough food would you would that make you feel like you weren't capable of breastfeeding Hmm. would that make you question yourself if she said to you, I don't, I mean, I don't understand why you would have a home birth, though. Is that safe? Would that make you, while she was there, feel like she was judging your 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 choices? You know, mm-hmm. all that all that stuff plays into how you have a baby. So it's just kind of realistically looking at the relationship. A lot of times we idealize our parents. I mean, and I think being a parent, too, makes me just more empathetic to, my, mm-hmm. to even my own mom because it's like, this shit is hard. Like you, you mm-hmm. really are doing where whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, you're doing the best you possibly can in that moment. And when you, you know, when you learn better, you do better. But sometimes you're growing too. Mm, that's really true. I think a lot of the ways in which me and my mom healed, how I felt her showing up for me was her showing up at the births. When I think back, as my mom travels so much, so trying to make sure she was there. Yeah, it was like. And I remember it being such a big deal. Like if she's not there, this then then she's who she used to be. She's always there. She's she's been there every time. Even if it's getting off a plane. Getting off one time she was getting on a plane. I remember. You remember? She was getting on the plane. And and this one I feel like if she hadn't been there, it would have made a big severance. You know, because I had I had decided like how would how dare you 
because you're going on vacation. <laughs> so I was like, why are you going to go on vacation? I'm having a baby. And she was like, I planned this. Did you uh, did you plan to get pregnant? My, I was like, come I had the on. Same, same conversation with Bobby when, when Max was born. Because she was literally going to Brazil the next day. I was like, I know you're going to cancel your trip. She's like, I'm going to cancel my trip. I didn't know he was going to have no baby. <laughs> I was like, that's cold-blooded. It's cold-blooded. But then, it's true. It's like, true. She didn't put... It's my life. It's, yeah. It's not her. And I think of that difference. It's been seven years since those conversations. And I'm like, oh, I was kind of tripping, you know? like, But it, it meant the world to me that she got off the plane. Because maybe... Yeah. What? Because your mother wound is that your mom not showing up. It is. Yeah. It's so, you know... Uh, th- one of the things I got attacked by skinheads because my mother was late, you know, I was 12. And so I was, my mom was always late to pick me up. She's single mom. Now, now I think back, I'm like, shit. <laughs> Thank God she remembered. <laughs> <laughs> my mom left me in the park. I mean, in the uh, playground one day and my, they didn't know. I, nobody knew I wasn't home until it was dark. Oh no. And the, 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 the Teachers didn't see me, and they so they locked the gate. And I was I was in kid, I was in first grade. <gasps> no, I literally Debbie. was sitting in the playground playing because my mom thought my grandmother got me, and my grandmother thought my mom got. Me. Oh my god! I, for that one, I don't really have no hard feelings. Like, hey, who got the kid? <laughs> oh my god, nobody's. Kid. <laughs> That's not a mother wound. <laughs> I want to talk more about this mother wound with our community that listen to all heart podcasts. So I'll definitely be reaching out to y'all to talk about this. Cause I know a lot of us have one and we're not talking about it. And I think the more we discuss it and have more gentleness and, and care and, and forgiveness and understanding that we're all human beings. Like just because you're a parent, that doesn't make you any, you're a human being. You're not a superhero. You're, you're, you're you're learning, you're growing, you're figuring things out for yourself as a human. So being a parent doesn't shift that. Yeah. They, they, they coexist, but we just look at our parents as something not human. You know what I mean? It's like, true. So we are not allowed any it's flaws. It's such unrealistic expectations that we have for them and that we have for ourselves yeah. when we become parents, yeah. when we become mothers. I apologize all the time. Me too. All the time. Me too. My mother-in-law told me to put myself on timeout. Whatever I do to them, whatever I tell them as their discipline, she told me this early on, have them watch me do the same thing. Interesting. Like... If you make them sit down and meditate or breathe or whatever, when you do wrong, you do the same thing. If you take away their technology, take away yours. Like, watch them, let them watch you disciplining yourself for being out of line, which was great advice. Yeah, because it's really just a form of self reflection. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay, now it's time. We're going to end, but it's time for our rapid fire round. I have always wanted to do a rapid fire round. Uh, Let me say this. Before you start rapid fire, I reserve the right to pass. Listen, you're going to answer these questions. Okay. This, folks, is called Joy and Pleasure Lightning Round. Are you ready, Debbie? No. All our guests are going to be... <laughs> did y'all heard her say no. I'm going to keep going. All our guests are going to be asked the same question. You're just going to... It's kind of like I say something, you say something. You don't have to think too deeply. It just doesn't have to be Virgo critically analyzed. I, can't, I, I don't even know how to do that. Okay, great. What <laughs> makes you feel most alive? I mean, so I'm a midwife, so mm. there's so many layers to that. Like, 
watching a baby take their breath, first breath is like nothing else, right? Right. But also watching my sons, watching them grow up, watching them be men, watching them grow, like that makes me feel alive. I love it. If we really knew you, we would know that. <laughs> I don't take no shit. <laughs> That's true. I really know you. <laughs> Debbie, don't take, don't, don't get the midwife twisted. No, no, no. I want to re-answer that. <laughs> okay. If we really knew you, we would know that. I'm a darling. <laughs> that is true. You're both. Uh, hi, Julius. Hi, Julius. Julius is Noni's little son and he's peeking in the door. Say hi to these people. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> We're just finishing up our podcast. We'll be right out. Bye. Okay, what is the first thing you do when you don't feel good? Uh, is that don't feel good physically, emotionally? Hey, it's up to your interpretation. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a thinker, so I kind of veg and think a lot. Mm. So especially if something's bothering me in any way. Mm-hmm. What is something you were afraid of that you're that no longer scares you? Uh, being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What comforts you? Being a parent. Nice. This you won't have the same one for this one. <laughs> what turns you on? Oh, what, what way? Um, <laughs> like we're, we are we going? Are we switching to another? All this is the podcast? joy and pleasure lightning round. What turns you on? The basic question. I mean, I guess I'm a perv because I'm always, <laughs> my mind goes straight to sexuality, so I'm gonna pass on that question. <laughs> Midwives are the freakiest people in the world. Let's just put, let's leave it there. How do you practice self love? Oh, you know, I'm big on self-love. Yeah. So I make sure to take time out for myself to do absolutely nothing or do what makes me feel good, whatever that is. Mm. And I am I practice that on a regular. How do you rest? Oh, rest is, uh, how do I rest? I mean, so many things are restful to me. Like, coming to visit with you guys for 17 hours is restful to <laughs> me. So it just depends. Like, mm. Whatever makes me feel good is restful for me. I kind of restored. Yeah. Mm. Share with us a healthy habit or ritual you have. Um, probably self-care. Like, you know, carving out time that's just about me and not, you know, carving out time that's not all about somebody else. Children, partners. Like, yeah. That's it. Only why are you still staring at me? <laughs> And lastly, <laughs> affirm yourself. I am. I'm Debbie Allen, bitch. <laughs> I'm Debbie Allen, bitch. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie Allen. <laughs> this is great. I'm happy to be back. We appreciate y'all listening. Oh, he's back in the house. <laughs> the All Heart Podcast is back. We appreciate it. Thank you for editing this podcast, producing this podcast, being my muse, my very best friend. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> All right, y'all. See you soon. Bye.